What I love about that video is it introduces the light of the world as this idea that the presence of Jesus in our lives allows us to be present in the lives of one another. And we can see the true peace that comes from God uh, through what he has done. And that's really what we're celebrating with the light of the world. When we celebrate and remind ourselves of a familiar story that Jesus came to earth to be present with us, that that makes a difference. And this morning specifically, we're looking at the idea of peace. And I was thinking of peace as peace is one of those things I think that people want almost more than anything in this world. We want to have peace uh, internally. We want to have peace with one another. We'd love to see peace when we turn on the news and look around. That This is something at the cry of all of our uh, deepest longings is to be at peace or the biblical word shalom and this completeness that we already heard about this morning. I was thinking of, for me, sometimes peace and those peaceful moments in life come at the end of maybe chaos or in the midst of chaos is when they're the most present. For me, one of the most peaceful times I've ever had is when I had the privilege of several times jumping out of an airplane. So I know for many of you that sounds very peaceful as well. But there's something about when you skydive and you jump out of an airplane that you have a few moments where you're wondering if you will live through it or not. But then this great thing happens is when you uh, release your parachute that it takes about three seconds for it to fully fill with air. And once it fully fills with air, then you realize, I'm probably going to live through this. And I remember the first time I experienced that when I jumped out of a plane, the chute opened, I thought, oh, I'll probably survive. And all of a sudden now you're about 2,000 feet above the earth and there's no one else around. It's just you, and it's super quiet, and it's super peaceful, and I remember at the end of this chaos or noise that you experience this great presence of peace. Another time that was really great, very peaceful for us was also at Disneyland, the most peaceful place on earth, (laughs) and it was Christmas season at Disneyland, which is even worse But we had, uh, so we were there at at Christmas time, it was the end of the day, and we had our three boys and we were hanging out on Main Street, and uh, it was the end of the day show where they have the fireworks show and the light show, and all that's going on, and right at the end of it, then the Disneyland snow started falling down on Main Street. And when that was happening, Silent Night began playing over the loudspeakers. And I remember, and it actually, there was like a hush. There was a silence in the crowd where everyone just sat there, and the song Silent Night was playing, speaking of the birth of Jesus while it was snowing in Disneyland. And I looked over at my wife, who had tears down her, coming down her face. I thought, how in the world did this feel so peaceful at Disneyland in this moment? And it's often in the, at the end of a great chaos or noise when we experience that great And as we celebrate and think of the story of Jesus in the light of the world, Jesus stepped into a world with chaos, a world where there's a lot of noise. In fact, for many of us, as Jesus has stepped into our lives, it's a world that often is filled with chaos and noise. And so today we want to celebrate that. We want to look at the idea of what is the peace of God that we're talking about. And what we're saying today is the peace uh, with God that we'll look at, allows us to have the peace of God, which allows us to be at peace with others. See, we believe that the light of Jesus will give us peace uh, with God, which allows us to have the peace of God, 
which allows us to be at peace with others. And that's what we want to celebrate and look at here today. So I invite you to pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you again for the peace that you bring. I thank you that you stepped into our story. So now, Lord, I ask that these words be yours, and this would be about you, and would you meet us here? And if there's anyone here this morning who feels like life is a bit chaotic, maybe it's a chaotic relationship with you, maybe it's chaotic in the relationships with others, maybe, Lord, there's just a striving going on, would you help us experience your peace today as we look at your story? We give you this time now in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 2. It's where we had our Advent reading for today. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, but we're actually going to back up a little bit and, and look at a little bit more of the chapter and then get back into what we saw for our Advent reading. But before we even do that, we need to know the context. So in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, let me read some of this here. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken where Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger, and there was no room for them in the inn. We're going to look at some more specifics of that story next week, but what I want to do today before we get to where we had our Advent reading is the beginning of this to provide context for the story. It starts and says, in those days, a, Caesar, a census was taken by Caesar Augustus. And it reminds us immediately that this story begins in the context of the nation of Israel was living in a place and living in a time when the Roman Empire was dominating the earth. Now, last week, we got pretty deep into the history that led up to this point. But just for today, it will be just a little bit to talk about the Roman Empire. Now, this is the author Luke is Luke, the author Luke, that's what I mean to say, is trying to tell us or helping us understand that now the Roman Empire is dominating and ruling over the world. And they, at the time, had their kingdom that went all the way up to basically to Britain, all the way through the Middle East and Northern Africa. Now, Caesar Augustus had, had been in power for a little while. He uh, defeated a, a, another leader and, and defeated the Senate, and so now the emperor's system was in place. And also during this time, over Israel, there was a guy named Herod the Great, is how we know him. He was the king over uh, essentially this region of Israel. Now, Herod actually became king by stepping out, and he uh, kind of made some political alliances with Rome. He went off to the Roman Senate. This is actually even before Caesar Augustus was in power. And he got the Roman, Roman Senate to appoint him as king over Israel, even though they currently had one. But he got, because the Roman Empire was dominating, he got that, their favor. So then he came back and led a three-year war against his own people to become king. So in about 30, year 37 BC, Herod the Great takes the throne Changes his name to Herod the Great. I would just, so if any of you are looking for a name change, try that for a last name. So he now is over Israel at the time. Now Herod was half Jewish, and, and so he 
wasn't fully accepted by all the people, but one thing that Herod did is everything he did was political. He would do things to please Rome and the Caesars. He would do things to please his people. Herod also is is one of the most fascinating uh, builders in the ancient world. Has built some of the uh, biggest, most impressive things that you could ever imagine. He built a, a city and named it Caesarea, named after Caesar. Talk about kissing up. And it was a harbor on the Mediterranean Sea, and it was built big enough to house uh, ships that were coming from Rome. Now, this harbor uh, is a, a, a wonder of the ancient world in some ways, as they used a hydraulic cement system, pumping it in underwater to create this uh, fake harbor on the uh, eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. There's still evidence of that in existence to this day. Herod also, to please the Jewish people, decided that he would expand the temple in the Temple Mount. He built uh, the Temple Mount. Jerusalem was a very a mountainous city, and so on the temple of God was just right on the pinnacle of a hill, and so he expanded the Temple Mount. If you go to Jerusalem to this day, that Temple Mount is still there, built by Herod the Great, and one of the stones, cornerstones holding up that Temple Mount weighs 210,000 pounds. So imagine in the ancient world, how in the world did they carve a 210,000 pound stone out of a rock, out of a quarry, and then take it to Jerusalem and use it, and then pile them on top of each other. It's amazing some of the things that he's accomplished. That's why he thought he deserved the name The Great. So Herod then was over the, uh, the Jewish people and falling in and out of favor with them. So the context of the story in the birth of Jesus is this is their world. But the thing with Herod is, is he was never fully accepted by them because he was more of a politician loyal to Rome than he was to his own people. It was all about power for him. And, and we know that he had his own kids killed because he thought they wanted to be the king while he was still king. So he had some issues. And, and this was the king who was in a puppet state, essentially, working for the Roman government over Israel at the time of the birth of Christ. Luke wants to set that context. Now, I just want to put, keep the academic hat on for one moment. I want to just mention one thing. In uh, verse 2 here, or actually verse, yeah, verse 2, it says, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, anyone who has a problem with the Bible, this is one of the verses that people might point to and say, does this work? When Quirinius was the governor of Syria, those dates don't match up. That happened in about 6 AD. Jesus was, uh, Herod died in about 4 BC. Jesus was born somewhere around 4 to 5, 6 BC. So these dates don't match up. I'm just acknowledging it right there for you. There's some different things that scholars have tried to do uh, to explain it. It is possible that Quirinius was governor a second time. That happened often in the ancient world. Um, It's also possible that, because the word governor can also just be a word for ruler. He could have been in a different position, and this is actually a different, referring to a different census. All I want to say is we're not going to solve it this morning, but these things sometimes pop up, and it's okay. It doesn't change the story. It doesn't make us think that this is untrue. Uh, Luke, in his history, has been very accurate and proven, but this is just one of those that you say, like, yeah, we don't really know how, how that matches up. And that's all I can say about it. Okay, so we move on. But it's important that we know this and we important that we understand that when we come across something like this, it doesn't cause us to lose our faith. It, it's a question that scholars are wrestling with 
and it's in there, and don't be surprised if someone ever brings it up to you. Say, like, oh, yeah, I heard about that, and I'm okay with it. So, all right, back to Luke chapter 2. So, what is it? So, the context is now that Rome is on their throne. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come and save them. Now, the context, most of the, the, the people of Israel believe that when the, Jesus, or the Messiah would come, that he would deliver them once and for all from Herod, from the emperors, and they would have their own independence. Take that as the context. Now, we're going to skip ahead. We're going to skip past Jesus being born, the angels appearing to the shepherds, the shepherds showing up, celebrating Jesus. We're going to go back to that next week. But what we want to do is fast forward to our Advent reading for today. We want to see what happened after his birth. So in verse uh, 21, it said, When eight days had passed before Jesus' circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel. When, before he was conceived in the womb, verse 22, when the days of their purification, according to the laws of Modus, Moses, were completed, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So this is a little bit after his birth. Because as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So there's a ritual of going back to the temple, making a sacrifice to God for their newborn child. And verse, let's jump down to verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and that man was righteous and devout. He was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So the context here now is they show up in the temple, and there's a, a new character introduced to the Christmas story. His name is Simeon. It says that he's been waiting in the temple, and he was waiting for, looking for the consolation of Israel. This is another way uh, some translations might say the comfort of of Israel. This is referring to what the prophets often said, and especially throughout the book of uh, Isaiah, which said, when the Messiah comes, he will bring comfort to his people. Be patient as you're going through this difficult time, because God will ultimately show up and bring comfort or consolation. So what they had been expecting and hoping for in the name of a Messiah was someone who would bring comfort to the nation of Israel. So when it says Simeon was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel, he had been his whole life longing for God's Messiah to appear. And it says that somehow the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he, in verse 26, uh, revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. The word Christ is anointed one, the Messiah. So somehow he had been re- it's been revealed to him that he will see the Messiah appear one day. So then he, he came into the spirit in the temple, came in the spirit into the temple, and when the par- parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for the cu- him the custom of the law, Simeon takes the child into his arms, blesses God, and said this: "Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word." For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all the people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So in this small little section, we have this picture of Simeon who's waiting for Jesus to appear. Jesus comes as the Messiah. He takes Jesus in his arms and he says, Now, Lord, I may depart in peace because my eyes have seen you fulfilled your promise to me. And what, I, what we find in here today and what I want to look at is because of the light of the world, Jesus showing up, how, what is the peace that, this, that he brought? And we see it 
through G- uh, Simeon's short little blessing, his short little prayer, he prays to, prays to God of different ways that God's peace shows up. And the first one is this. Simeon demonstrates that the light of the world brings us peace with God. Brings peace with God. He says, I have seen, with my own eyes, I have seen your salvation. In other words, with me, I see in my hands that the thing that will bring peace between God and man is now in my arms. The Messiah, this baby, is going to bring peace with God. You see, Simeon lived in a time when peace with God was all about how many rules you could follow. It was all about how many laws you could fulfill and and keep yourself in God's favor. When I lived in Israel and and, and talked with many Orthodox Jews who still were trying to this day to keep God happy with them by fulfilling enough of the laws, the peace with God was based on their behavior, based on their actions. And here Simeon is saying, Now I see salvation is found not, he didn't say in the law. He said, as I look at this Messiah, my eyes see your salvation. The thing that will bring peace between God and man is here. It also reminds us of Isaiah chapter 53. This is a passage speaking about the Messiah who will one day come. And again, Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Christ. And in this is speaking of the eventual crucifixion of the Messiah, says this, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. So peace with God comes through the Messiah coming and making a sacrifice of his own life for all mankind. And Simeon understood the prophets were alluding to that that it was something more, it was about the works of God, not the works of man. So we find, first of all, here that we can have peace with God. The second thing we see in here, and this is taking it as a whole, he starts off and says, now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. We find here that we can also have the peace of God. That it wasn't about the circumstances that he was going through. You see, in this moment, Simeon didn't see the end of the story. He didn't see what the Messiah was going to do. He didn't see if Rome was still going to be dominating his people. He didn't see if Herod the Great was going to one day be taken out. He didn't see if the priesthood would return to their roots and, and quit oppressing their own people and actually lead people back to a relationship with God. He didn't see the end of the story. But in this He saw that God was faithful to him. And in his own personal chaos and wondering, that he experienced the peace of God. I think this is the one thing that, as followers of Jesus, that we long for the most and that we need from time to time in our lives. The peace of God. It's hard to explain to others where that comes from. Because life is going to continue to throw us things that are difficult to deal with. That's the way life works. But when we can be at peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. The more we learn to trust that he is who he says he is. And that he follows through on his promises. It doesn't mean that he takes away the circumstances. It doesn't mean we always see the end of the story and it worked out the way we wanted to. 
But it means the more we learn to grow in our trust and love and the character of God, we can experience this peace. My wife and I, uh, we have three boys, and all three of them were born prematurely. Uh, Two of them uh, were in the ICU, one for uh, about two weeks, the other one a little bit longer, about twice as long. And uh, I remember when the youngest, when he was born, and ended up being an emergency C-section, and he was in the ICU and on breathing machines and on a, a feeding tube, and Walking into that, you know, just to go visit your son, you have to scrub in and you have to put on the hospital gown and the mask and go in to hold your baby uh, and, and you have to do that, you know, several times a day and, and, and kind of going through that, I remember thinking somehow God showed up in our lives to give us a sense of peace in that moment, a sense of trust that God, you have always shown up. Now, it didn't make every day easy. It didn't make us think like, okay, this, yeah, no problem. This is, there were days where like, Lord, okay, today, it's been long enough. Let him come home now. And, and, and granted, I, I confess that there were people in there who were going through much more difficult things than we were. When I'd walk by the other babies and you see some born at 22 weeks that they could fit in the palm of your hand, their parents were in for a much longer, harder road. And the conversations we got to have with people when you share something in common of our kids are in here hooked up to machines, something that we could lean on was just the fact that we were able to trust and have the peace of God because God showed up in our lives. Now for us, fortunately, it ended as a good story. Some of you have been through things like that and it didn't end so well. But when I look around Seacoast, I'm always encouraged because there are people in this room who are a great example to the rest of us of what the peace of God looks like in chaos. Some of you have gone through some very difficult things, losing kids, battling cancer, maybe financial difficulties where you were one paycheck or one bill away from being on the street. Some of you have actually gone through that of losing everything. And yet somehow you're an example to us of the peace of God. You've experienced God's presence in those times we find through this story that we can have the peace of God when we're at peace with God, when we trust who he is. The Apostle Paul writes when he was writing in a prison to the church in Philippi, he writes this in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. starts off and says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Something about being able to present your situation to God as you learn to trust. And again, this is Paul writing from a prison cell, which most of us would be whining, right? We would be saying, God, I'm serving you. Are you not paying attention? But he says, take everything to the Lord. Present your requests. Be thankful in the peace of God. When you turn your attitude to understanding who God is, we can then recognize all the ways that he has shown up in our lives. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. I love the word there for guard your heart. It's this word in Greek. It it refers to a Roman garrison of soldiers. It means God will somehow set a garrison and protect and guard your heart. When we change our perspective and turn our thankfulness to God, it's amazing what it does to our heart. We can experience peace with God. 
the next thing we see in here is he says, I've seen your salvation which you've prepared in the presence of all the people. Verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And what we see here is that we are able to have peace with others. You see, the Messiah who came to earth, as Jesus enters in as a light of the world, he came as a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That would have been somewhat offensive to the Jewish listeners of the day. Like, God, we need you. We need the Messiah for ourselves. We are in a situation where we need you to show up. Rome is over us. The Gentiles, that's the Romans. So you're saying that this light is not just for us, but it's also for the Roman oppressors, the people over us? How does that work? And the glory of your people Israel, what does that mean? Essentially what he's saying is the Messiah is going to be the glory of Israel. He's going to be the complete fulfillment of of what the people of Israel were called to do, and that was be a God on display. As they lived their lives and interacted with others in God-honoring ways, it was to give them a character, a picture of the Creator God who called them as a nation. And the Messiah would be the glory of Israel. He'd be the, the, the ultimate example of what God has called them to. He would be the glory of their people, Israel. He'd bring the message that God has called the people to be to the ends of the earth, and that's a story of hope and of peace for the Gentiles as well. We think of a world that could probably use more of us to be at peace with others, could we not? To be at peace with others. I think I was talking with uh, my son who, uh, at his uh, college, they had a kind of an open debate night, and in, in that night, at one of the topics, they were talking about the history of Christianity, and it caused one of the professors to say he believes Christianity is the most racist, hateful people on earth. Now, there are examples where Christians have gained that reputation, and I wish I could have been there for the debate because I had some other things to say, Uh, but it it, it sparked a really good conversation even from my son and the professor, and they set up a time, and they're going to, he said, can we just meet and talk about this another time? I thought, wow, why did you think of that? I would have yelled at him, but okay, so... But to me, it's not that he said that. It's that he has anything that would cause him to believe that. When actually, when you look at the teachings of Jesus, if we really lived out the teachings of Jesus, we, in fact, wouldn't be the most racist, which Christians, of course, traditionally have not been. But let's just, are there racist Christians? Of course. Are there hateful Christians? Yes. But if we lived out the teachings of Jesus, he wouldn't say that. He would have said the opposite. If he looked at the teachings of Paul, where Paul says in Christ Jesus is no longer any Jew nor, nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female in Christ, that he's a great equalizer. It is the love of God for us that causes us to see one another as brothers and sisters adopted in the family of God. But it's a call for us that the light of the world came to actually create a different narrative, then we should be called to create a different narrative. I had a, a, a couple weeks ago, I had one of those days. Do you ever have a day when just everything everyone does bugs you? It doesn't matter. It's just like, even if they're just doing a normal thing, it bugs you. And, and, and fortunately that day, my wife and kids weren't bugging me, so that was great. But it was like everyone on the road driving, it was like idiot day. It was what it was. I was the only one not participating, by the way. 
Everyone else was around me. And, and people were like cutting me off for no reason. And I just keep thinking like, you, I am now going to be a half a second later where I was going because of what you just, you know. And, and, and it's just one of those, it didn't even matter. You know, walking through this store, I just kind of like, look at these. You know, I don't know what, it was this, you know, confession day. All right, so the day ends and I'm, I go to the gym to work out. I'm lifting weights. Everything's kind of fine. My last little thing of the day, I go over and I take my towel and, and I went to one of the weight machines. I took my towel and my keys and I set it down and kind of get ready. I, I adjust the weights, get ready to lift. And, and I go to get a drink, drink of water, which is 15 feet away. 15 feet, really close, in eye distance. I walk over to get a drink of water. I turn around, 10 seconds later maybe, and there's someone, a lady sitting down on my stuff, and I go over there, and I'm like, oh, hey. She goes, oh, is this your stuff? I was like, yeah, that's my stuff. I was, you know, here going to lift. She goes, okay. <laughs> like, okay, and I'm sorry, I'll get up and let you work out? Is that the rest of the sentence? Is what I'm waiting for. I didn't say it yet. And, and she just went, okay. And I went, so you're just going to go ahead and lift right now? And she just said, yeah. <laughs> okay. She was probably one of the people driving around me all day, too. <laughs> and I had this moment where I'm trying to think of, uh, like, I had a lot of things that popped in my head that I could have said. And I was thinking, how should I say this in a great way, sarcastic, smart aleck, so that she could feel bad about herself? That's what I wanted to accomplish. I was trying to think of a good way to do that. And, by the way, I had my earphones in, and I had worship music playing, which made it really hard. Like, why didn't today I just pick some Motley Crue or something, but now I have, like, this worship music going on, and I want to make her feel bad. And so I'm, I'm in this moment, and, and, I, and I just stood there, and, and just staring at her for a few minutes, and I thought, maybe I'll get really close and just kind of be annoying. And then I thought, that's kind of creepy, so I better not. So I just kind of stood back, and it took me a minute to figure this out. And finally, I just couldn't even say anything. I just grabbed my stuff and just walked away, realizing that, it probably is only going to cost me like five minutes of my life. I'll probably live. But I thought about it is, you know, when we experience the peace of God, we can be at peace with others. There's nothing that I needed to do to make her. What would I have accomplished by making her feel stupid? What would that have done? Would it make me feel a little better? And then she maybe would get up, maybe she wouldn't, but I'll probably see her again. And then she'll remember me, and on Christmas Eve, she'll probably come to the 3 p.m. service. <laughs> be like, oh, you look familiar. <laughs> but the point is this. When we have the peace of God, we don't have to be at war with other people. We can rest in the presence of God and say, you know what? This isn't going to define me. This moment, this feeling wronged even on something as small as that. Someone cutting me off, I mean, that doesn't really alter my life. Why do, I inter why do I react to that so much? If the peace of God, if I'm at peace with God, I can be at peace with others. You need to get in front of me, go ahead. It's okay. I'll probably be okay. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What a great instruction for us during the Christmas season, is it not? As, if possible, I love that he leaves a little room for us. 
Wasn't possible today, Paul. <laughs> if possible, so as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Don't let it be your fault that you're not at peace. Don't let it about you needing to fight for your rights or to look better. Don't, need, don't let it be about you. If it's about them being at war, that's their thing, not yours. The light of the world, the presence of Jesus, actually gives us the freedom to be at peace with all men. It gives us the freedom. It changes the narrative. It would change the narrative in these college debates about Christians. Wouldn't it be great if they just said, you know, I really don't want to like them, but I can't find a reason to not. Wouldn't that be great? I want to invite the worship team to start making their way up as we end our time here today. The question for us is, maybe for some of you, you're not at peace with God. And maybe it's because you've been striving. Maybe it's because you have trouble trusting that His grace is enough for you. Maybe it's a sin struggle that you just have a hard time believing that He will take care of it. But you can have peace with God because of Jesus, not because of your works. This morning, are you willing to accept that peace? Accept that forgiveness that he offers to you freely? For others of you, maybe it's the peace of God. You are in chaos right now. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a difficult situation. Financial. Relational. Loneliness. This morning, can you turn your eyes to the character and nature of God? Ask to see him for who he is. Plead with him that you need his presence in your life, his peace. And for others, it's who do you need to be at peace with? Who is it that needs you to demonstrate the peace of God in your life? People at work? People in your home? Person you're married to? Who is it? As we end our time, we're going to take a moment to take communion. And for us here, we have four communion tables around the room. And communion for us is a reminder that God was present. It's a symbol that he stepped in to our story. The ultimate inconvenience, by the way. The ultimate stepping in and giving up what he had for us. And so we want to invite you during these final songs, we have two songs, to at your own leisure to go to one of the tables. You can go alone. You can go with someone else with you. You can go with your life group. If you want to spread out around the room and pray, if you just want to come back to your seat and pray, that's fine. But we want to take the communion and the bread represents the body of Christ. Reminder that the Messiah lived and, and breathed and experienced life among us and he was broken for us that we may have peace. And the juice reminds us of the blood that was shed, a covenant, an agreement given to you and to me that what he did was enough. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much again for the reminder that the light of the world came and was present. And we thank you that, Lord, in your presence that you bring peace. And so, Lord, this morning, for anyone who needs to experience your peace for the first time, 
for the thousandth time, Lord, would you enter in? And God, would you transform us to be people of peace? And as we take this communion this morning, Lord, let it be a reminder that you lived and gave us the ultimate example of what this looks like. So we thank you now, Lord, give you this time in Jesus' name.